0: Aalto University podcast. This is Cloud Creatures. I'm Tommy Coppin and Nancy. How are you doing?
1: Good, pretty good. Pretty happy to be here.
0: Amazing. I mean, when did we meet? It was in Barcelona for this team conference.
1: Yeah, a few months ago, I think.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for joining. We were. I mean, I mentioned that I have this podcast called Creatures. Uh, so, hey, can you share to listeners about your background, your name, of course. <laughs> Everything.
1: <laughs> right, of course. Uh, so my name is Nancy Otero Ornelas. I am from Mexico. I was born there. I have been living in the U.S. for the last twenty-something uh, years. I was a software engineer in my previous life. I was doing network security, and then I I was always very passionate about learning, especially how do we um, how do we get intuitions of spaces that don't exist. I was a mathematician, so I was very into topology and differential geometry. And I was very interested in, like, why do I have intuitions about the spaces that I can't not perceive or experience? So that was kind of my my door to learning and to education. And... Um, I got lucky, so uh, I at the, the startup that I joined in the Bay Area uh go to IPO and that gave me a little bit of a wrong way to change careers, and I decided to go into learning. I'm very passionate about human learning, machine learning, any type of learning, <laughs> basically. And uh, and since then I have been very involved with education projects and um and also with uh with artificial intelligence. So right now I have a small company that is called Kitco. I am the founder and CEO, and we help schools to implement uh, projects, project-based learning in general. Uh, yeah, that's me.
0: Whoa, well, and they, um, you went to Stanford, right, to study yes. machine learning and?
1: Uh, yeah, so I um, I was at Stanford studying um, an intersection between uh, the, the program is called learning design and technology. So it's an intersection between those three domains.
0: Amazing. And this is, I mean, this is exactly where I would like to uh, take a deep dive with you um, into, like, design, um, learning experiences, of course, technology, AI, everything exciting, and especially those Amazing creative combinations of um, all these uh, different uh, things together, human plus AI, and then what does it mean for the experience of, of humans, and perhaps I don't know if AI also experiences something, and right. who knows. <laughs> so, um, hey, I would like to start with like um, thinking about experiences. So, how can we design holistic experiences, learning experiences, or any experiences?
1: Right. So learning is such a huge topic and it has many phases, right? Uh, what do we want the learning to be? Do we want to create mastery? Do we want to uh, present a new topic? Do we want to solidify some practices? What is it that we want to create? That's like, I think, a question that is always very important and it has to be very well um stipulated so we can design for it. It's very hard to design for something that we don't know what it is, right? So the first thing is to know what is it that we're doing. When we are trying to create a long-term learning, we want to design for the different phases. And that, you know, requires flexibility and different designs. We want to be moving from divergent thinking to convergent thinking to like different ways of uh, of experience things. But I think the most important thing is that we give agency to the learner uh, because learning is a generative process. We need to create meaning. We need to create something in order to learn it in the long run. And when the learner doesn't create that connection, when we give it to the learner, sometimes it's rejected. Sometimes the learner doesn't think that's valuable to learn. Doesn't Sometimes he's not motivated to learn that. So giving agency to the learner is like super important. Um, Giving also a a way to scaffold the the experience is also very important. The learner is not going to go for something that he feels that is too easy or is too complicated. We just don't do those sorts of things. So, you know, finding the right scaffolding for the learner is like extremely important. And then creating a community of practice, right? Uh, Learning doesn't happen in the vacuum. So if the learner doesn't have a way to to belong somewhere with it, to practice it, to put it out there, uh, then you know it's not a very fertile learning either and in that you know there is a lot of science uh, behind learning right like uh, exactly for the things that I'm telling you like do we want to create mastery innovation what, what do we want to do and each it, specific phase require and a specific kind of setting and practice um so that's like a, a little bit in a nutshell um, I have many examples. I don't know how much you want me to elaborate, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: abs- absolutely. I mean, and uh, especially if um, I'm just thinking about holistic, like by definition, like like you have everything, also timing of like relaxing and and uh, having some energy. I mean, food and and perhaps some exercises. So um, yeah, please give some ex- examples.
1: Right. Uh, so context is super important, right? So where are we designing and for whom were we designing this experience is like the first thing that we need to think about. What is our context? What is the environment? Uh, We want the learner to be in the right mindset, to have enough food, to be able to have rest. Uh, And when those things don't happen, we need to kind of compensate uh, for those sorts of things, right? So the environment needs to be extra safe. The environment needs to be uh, providing those sorts of things because it's very hard to learn when those conditions are not met. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's kind of like uh, one of of, of the first things. And then there is a lot of, uh, you know, like a help we can do emotionally. Sometimes there is this stereotypical threat that people feel when they are going to learn Mm -hmm. something, there is this identity, right? I'm not techy enough. I'm not good at math. Uh, I'm not athletic. So, you know, I'm not going to learn basketball. You know, like there's all these identity things. And now we know that there are certain uh, massage to the brain that we can do to forget about those things, Mm -hmm. right? We need to think about intelligence and uh, abilities are something that is fluid, not something that is set on stone. So when we see in ourselves that learning is about practicing, not about an innate ability, it's more likely that we will learn something. And so we need to start setting that that from the beginning, right? Like, and the way that we set that is to have environments that are like uh, open to a lot of diversity so people can find something that is meaningful to them in that environment. Uh, things that are gender neutral, things that are talking to different cultures, things that are talking to different ways of perceiving the world. That's like, uh, you know, and, and that's a, a footprint in the space, right? When you, when you enter a space, you can immediately see who is a designer and who was designed for that space. So, you know, that's where we need to start like putting these, these sorts of like, mm. uh, ideas. And then, um, It's very important for that right mindset to see other examples of people like me that were able to succeed in this space. So, you know, when we have Mm. that sort of thing, at least we are, you know, leveling the the ground a little bit. And then we need to Mm. always create a first experience where people succeed. So we build their confidence. And All Mm. this is just setting up, you know, the runway. We are not yet getting yeah. into the learning. This is just setting the runway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And Amazing. Hey, uh, I'm just thinking about the context. I mean, uh, what could be a, a complex context, or, but simple enough so that we can think about it. So, let's say high school kid wanted to learn critical thinking. Um, then, what do you think? What, what is important there? How is the design helping there to? Right. So, I can give you out? some
1: like, Example, so um, for high school kids. So I have run three different programs for high schools. The last one uh, was with MAKE, while well, I was their learning director. And we were trying to, and it was a pandemic. It was, the pandemic just started. Kids were, you know, out of school. Mm-hmm. People were dropping out. Uh, some of them, you know, haven't done uh, much of, of the work. And we were trying to to help uh, contain the dropout rates. So we created something called Learning Labs and we were trying to see like, okay, we will just uh, do this for the dropouts. So, you know, like just the people that decided that school is not for them, but are in high school. And mm-hmm. uh, and the IDEA was going to be a program remotely. So it's one of the first time that I decided mm-hmm. to do projects remotely between Mexico and the United States. So anyone from Mexico and the United States could join. We will send them a box with materials. They will connect online. They will do projects together. And we got mentors for each of them and uh, different uh, professionals and professors that will give classes to them remotely. And it will last, uh, it was a four month program every day for uh, about four hours. And uh, well, the first amazing thing that we found is that none of them drop out from our program. So that was, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was like very, very impressive, which, you know, uh, that, that that was great. Um, working remotely, even when it's making, it actually work. And some of them did amazing projects. And we decided not to teach them, you know, like spreadsheets or math. We were like, let's do... Um, you know, biotechnology, let's do machine learning. Let's, you know, let's just go for it. Let's see what happens. And, uh, you know, they did amazing projects. Like these two girls in, in Mexico, um, They one of them live in a place with a lot of earthquakes. And, you know, they have these uh, announcements that you see in the streets, these huge billboards. And because she lives in a place called Oaxaca that it's, uh, has a lot of high humidity and a lot of earthquakes, uh, those things will oxidate very fast and then they will fall on people. One of them fall into her school, on top of her school and destroy part of it. And then no one was responsible. And uh, this was a big problem. And then when she learned about uh, about machine learning and drones, she and another girl decided to use drones to take pictures of the billboards, map where they are and use AI to to see the oxidation uh, that these billboards have. So they can say like, oh, you know, this billboard has a lot of oxidation and it's here. This other one is here. And you know, uh, people start liking their map, start mapping these things. And you know, other people didn't have drones, but they, what they did is, I start taking pictures of the, of the, of the, of the, of the billboards where they were oxidated, and sending them the pictures. I like, you know, this picture is from this one, this picture is from there. So they start mapping out these sorts of things, and you know, these are dropouts from high school. So, uh, so my point being that in the right conditions, when we trust human mind. And when we give them agency and scaffold the process a lot, which that, you know, that was something that happened, they can absolutely do projects and not just projects, but they can solve their own problems, right? Which gives them two things that are super important. One of them is the the confidence to say, like, you know, I don't need to wait for a a, a white male in Silicon Valley to come and solve my problems. I can just do my own solutions, and the other thing is that they can apply knowledge. This is not knowledge. This is not machine learning or statistics or like uh, calculus. It's all together in an application that is called AI that they don't need to do the fundamentals. They just know, need to know how to use it. And now they can just right, to do other sorts of stuff. So that's kind of like the, the main points of doing projects that I like, that you can apply the knowledge and then it becomes uh, a perception, a lens that you can use to see the world.
0: Wow, so this, this is so much better than just critical thinking, because I it's like creativity, it's communication, collaboration, and what is super, I mean, it's mind-blowing, like you said this where high school dropouts. Yeah. And now in four months, they are creating machine learning AI apps that actually solve problems that they have in their community.
1: Right, right. And, you know, I wish it was as good as it sounds, because then this is the problem. And, you know, I have done this like for more than 10 years. And we have another program with another kids. This was just in Mexico, in like very underserved communities. And one of our kids uh, did a project for cleaning water that uh, won the Latin America science fair. And then they invited him to, you know, go and compete uh, on on the last part. But there was no funds for like sending the the kid to, mm-hmm. to the competition, and then uh, even though he was a very brilliant child, uh, well, young people. Uh, when he was uh, applying for college, he still need to do like all these tests and all these hoops. And then he didn't got into the college that he wanted. He didn't, even though that he end up when uh, we, we end up getting some money and sending him to the to the science competition in Latin America, and he won the third the third prize. He didn't go into the to the state university. Because there is like uh, all these hoops that have to do with content and memorization and process that you need to jump. And then uh, that's the sad part, right? It doesn't matter sometimes that we have all this potential. The system is not made for
0: uh, Mm.
1: using that potential.
0: So basically those universities are assessing wrong things.
1: Right. Like the SAT in the United States. I think one of the things that Mm. we're seeing changing is that in the United States we have... Uh, I think right now more than 3,000 universities that you can apply with a portfolio of your work. So you can, you know, no. you can jump the hoop and say like, okay, you know, I'm going to apply with my portfolio of work. It's not just that who defines, uh, that defines, you know, if I can enter a university or not. Uh, but now we're seeing no. other problems, right? Uh, so now one of the things that I'm seeing is that uh, people with more resources, with parents with more money, they can pay a tutor to help uh the kids to their projects, and then you know their projects uh-huh. are better. So you know it's not that we have solved this uh, this situation yet, but uh-huh. uh, but we definitely need other ways to assess and to measure what is valuable in learning that are not a test that is testing uh-huh. memorization or or just an algorithmic uh, process, right? Like with mathematics, we need to assess you know the understanding and uh, how much meaning we're attaching to that learning actually. Uh-huh. Mm.
0: And how how people, how students apply what they have learned in a fast-paced manner and iterate and learn from the mistakes and failures and then improve and then design and (laughs) and check what the feedback is. And then if if it's encouraging, and like you said, it should be encouraging, but also it should be, of course, critical as well. So both of them.
1: And and the thing is, it's a process, right? Uh, At the beginning, we want Mm -hmm. to build their confidence. So they can take the hits that will arrive, right? Uh, I mean, doing projects, as you know, is 90% failing.
0: <laughs> and that's yeah. the way it is,
1: right? Like, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And and you need to have this confidence. It's like, you know, math, yeah. you know, like to say like, okay, I can do this. I, It's, you know, it's, it's just a matter of like, I need to keep going and think carefully and blah, blah, blah. But you you cannot get this motivated mm. because then, uh, you know, it's hard to follow up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, amazing. I just had a discussion with my bachelor student exactly about that. I mean, the result is amazing, but that student that was several times like struggling with the with the thesis. And of course, then I was helping as much as I could. And uh, then, but then let's look at the result. And we were both super happy about the result. So it's <laughs> <That's laughs> just rich. the most amazing conversation over coffees. Just like two, three hours ago.
1: Oh.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. It's uh hey, um you mentioned about how did you um get into learning and education, but um but uh can you share uh to listeners a bit more about like because you uh, were a mathematician. So what, what was the how did you what was the uh, driving force for you to jump from software engineering and mathematics like? to learning and education.
1: Right. Uh, so I like, um, so I, I love mathematics and one of the things that I got into was philosophy of mathematics. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that took me to a little bit of epistemology and then uh, I had a very bad experience in education. Not like extremely, extremely bad, but like I was in a, in a very rigid environment in a just girl, non-school uh, I was bored most of the time and I was, uh, mm-hmm. being like punished for like little things that I didn't think they were important. And I was like, I have not, I don't want to have anything to do with education. But at some point when I was studying math, I needed money. And then my parents had an empty room in their house, and they let me run like an after-school program so I could make some money. And I have no idea about education or learning, so I decided to give flyers of me as a person that will help your kids to homework uh, in different places. And then I got a combination between elementary school, elementary kids, and middle school kids, all of them at the same time in this room. And (laughs) (laughs) yeah, not the best uh, setting, but. uh, but, you know, I remember I was working with three of them and somehow, I don't know why I decided to pair, like there were like two middle school kids and one girl from uh, third grade. And I was, you know, helping the the, the middle school kids how to uh, solve uh, a system of uh, equations. And, you know, th- the thing is that uh, there was this kid that was, it was a boy and a girl and the kid, the, you know, the boy just wanted to talk to the girl. They were not paying attention to me, those two, you know, they were like, in their own world. And I was there trying to explain the system of equations. And I have explained it like so many times. And then I remember at some point, I just write something in the whiteboard and I was like, okay, just, just try to solve it, please. You know, like just stand there and try to like do something with it. And, and you know, he was just there like looking at these symbols. And then the, the, the girl from third grade went up and solved it. You know, because it's an algorithm, right? Like if you just, you learn the system and you learn the steps, you can solve it. Actually, even though you don't understand Anything about it, maybe, mm. and she so just solved it. And then I just it just hit me. That's one of the things that I was like, oh my god, like we are teaching the wrong things in the wrong time. Like these kids in middle school, they should be learning about social skills. That's what they care about, right? Why are we teaching them about this thing in math that they just don't give anything about? Like you know, and these other brilliant minds mm. in uh, elementary school, the way that we're teaching them. They could be learning so much more. They have the right mind for like go to whatever they want and we're just limiting them mm. in like this other stuff. So that's the first time that I was like, oh, I'm going to create a school one day and it's just going to be so different. And that was like a, a very decisive moment for from, from me. Then, you know, like uh, I wanted to make money and I I got very into math and uh I had a company in Mexico. We were distributors of network security and I have the option to come to the Bay Area, to Silicon Valley. And I was like, of course, I'm going to do that. (laughs) Um, And then uh, it always, it was always there, you know, like the learning part of like, how do we learn? Why do we are not optimizing for learning? Why do we have such robust science of learning yet? Uh, And then, then, you know, because I was working... uh, and I was living in, in Palo Alto. I had Stanford right there. And then I was like, well, mm. you know, like uh, I'm going to start visiting. And actually the way that I enter Stanford is very funny because uh, so uh, I did psychology then. Uh, when, when I was a software engineer, I was, I was a believer in technology. I thought everything could be solved by technology because, you know, I'm coming from mathematics mm. and science and then technology just seems like yeah. a way to like just implement those great ideas that are like so generalizable and neat and, you know, like, and then it was like, oh, and online learning is starting to happen. And there is this university that is called the University of Phoenix that was like recruiting tons of people to join their online programs. And it was very successful. And I was like, oh, if that's possible, if people can just learn online a degree, you know, I want to know how they are doing it. And I enrolled to learn psychology like that. And I actually finished a psychology uh, degree in the mm-hmm. University of Phoenix, and then I was like, "Oh, this sucks. This is- <laughs> <laughs> I didn't learn anything." I was like, "Wow, <laughs> such a waste of money but you and got a time." <laughs> uh, exactly. And I was like, "Wow, okay, so this needs to be optimized so much more." Yet, um, but you know, now I have a degree in psychology, and then uh, there was this language mm. labs in uh, in Stanford. That they were, uh, you know, doing uh, a little bit similar to what I was thinking. At, at least what I thought what I was thinking that it was like how language influenced how we learn. And then I was like, okay, that's close enough to mathematics, I guess. And then I was, you know, visiting the, the lab, but they, they didn't let me in because, of course, I was just not enrolled or anything. And then I saw that they were looking for a bus driver uh, to do studies like far away. And I was like, and they they needed that the bus driver to speak Spanish and English. And I was like, yeah, I can. I can be the bus driver <laughs> if they let me in. Uh, and then I went to the interview for driving the bus and I ended up uh, getting a, a visiting a scholarship after the interview instead of the, driving the bus. But, uh, but I was like, uh, you know, I'm not afraid of going from the bottom. I'm like, you know, it's okay. It's okay to, to just go for it and uh, let's see what happens. And, and then in that lab, I learned uh, about the achievement gap, and about how context is so good and how science and technology just breaks sometimes when we are dealing mm. with humans and, uh, and social structures, even though, you know, it took me some time to, to learn it the hard way because I was like, no, 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 There has to be, uh, an easier way. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I think, uh, now I have like these two perspectives of like uh, understanding better the social problem and mm-hmm. uh, and the and the the human mind and uh, and I still have a lot of faith in technology and science, of course. Mm-hmm. But now I'm seeing also the dangers and the you know what happens when the implementations get amplified by technology and science and they are not very well designed.
0: Mm-hmm. Hey, um, thanks for sharing that. <laughs> That's. Crazy good story. How do you? How did you enter Stanford? Um, how, uh, I, I want to ask you, like, um, because you mentioned that, that studying psychology it really sucks. So um, what do you think what in online learning can work and what kind of designs can work and what kind of designs don't work?
1: Right. So I studied <laughs> psychology sucks? like that. Uh, let me think. Like 16 years ago. So you know, we have, we have advanced yeah. a lot on that, on that. Mm. I think uh, the fact that there was not a, a community that we can contact all the students, it was mm. like a pretty, pretty disastrous. And I think what they did at that time is that uh, they did exactly the same thing that they were doing before. Just pushing content on my tro, but now online, right? Like read this book, write an essay now. Read this, write an essay. Uh, there was no way for me to apply anything that I was learning or to create any mm-hmm. um, any intersection or connections between the things that I was learning. I think now it's switching a little bit, but not because it's, it's online learning. I think it's switching because we are learning that uh, that's not a way to learn. That's not how we humans learn. But mm-hmm. I think uh, now I'm like pro online learning <laughs> especially after running learning labs with MAKE and seeing that, uh, that you know, it's a new generation. Kids are, it's it's, mm. a, it's a, a context and a space that they understand, that they like, that they use for fun. It's not a space that they are like uh, um, aliens about and that uh, the connection with other people is amazing. And and I'm in love with simulations. Uh, while I was um, doing the protocol portfolio school in New York, I use a lot of simulations for kids to to learn and I think that's amazing and we can do that online and that is like a super powerful way for us to test our hypotheses to create worlds where we are uh, creating meaning and at the same time playing with these powerful ideas. Mm. So I think, uh, I hope like simulations go uh, more uh, wild and run more. I love mm-hmm. uh, augmented reality. I think it's a great, I mean, I think still, you know, that there is a lot of stuff to work there, but I think it's a great way for people to immerse in a context that otherwise would be very hard to to play with. And um, mm-hmm. and I think online learning uh, can also help people to see the problems that sometimes we just don't experience because you can meet people that are like experiencing those those problems and can tell you about it. And when you know the person and you can uh, hear those problems through their voice. They actually became more yours, and than if you listen to them in the news or like in in other contexts. So I think it's 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 a great way of learning, but uh, but not it was not very great uh, 18 years ago. And still, you know, the dropout rate for MOOCs is like super high. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I was uh, I was playing with this company called Build Space. Um, because they're very successful and they got just funded. And I, and then they don't have an online platform. They're running everything on Twitch, which is TV, and on Discord. And it, I was just like, how is this working? Like, why people are not dropping out of this thing? And it's a community. They are like just... Uh, I think the community right now online is... It's a monster in itself. You know, it's just mm. uh, pushing people and uh, it can be, you know... Uh, very bad for people that they feel don't belong in the community, but for the people that mm. they feel that they belong there, it can definitely do a major difference. Mm. So, yeah.
0: Amazing. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't actually more. i was just thinking uh, about like, like you have Twitter, Twitch, um, yeah, podcasts and and all this combination of with online tutorials. I mean, think about like how, how people learn visualizations or machine learning I mean it's it's all happening online I mean it's not perhaps through a MOOC but it's like just asking questions in social media and getting answers and then checking this tutorial and another one and then (laughs) isn't it I mean it's it's perhaps people are I mean if it's like um, you mentioned about the dropout rate for of, of MOOCs perhaps it's that People don't get what they want to get, well, right?
1: <laughs> right, and I think I think some people are uh, feel more comfortable, you know, going online and learning, and other people feel more comfortable, you know, being next to people. And mm. uh, but but about the same is is a scaffolding process, right? If we can get the people that are dropping out from the MOOCs, another way first to learn, so they feel confident. Mm. and comfortable with the topic then it's easier for them to learn online Mm. so that's that's the thing right like not everyone is learning online some people are um get very distracted some people get very bored uh when it's online you know it has to be very well designed online is just Mm. a delivery system right the Mm -hmm. content still needs to be uh uh, very well designed and that's the Mm. part that sometimes is it's it's missing i think and um and, and we have like a terrible, terrible uh, statistics with online learning, right? At least here in the U.S., uh, people that were learning online instead of like face-to-face during the pandemic learn so much less. Yeah. Like all the kids, it was just, it's, it's, it's a disaster. Like uh, we have countries like, uh, you know, Brazil, that they try to do a lot of like uh, blended learning mm-hmm. and they did it massively as a country, total disaster. So I think, you know... Uh, Online learning is a delivery system. It's just that, right? Mm. Uh, I think that there is a lot of history about how people thought, you know, when libraries exist, schools will stop like existing because, you know, there are books already. Yeah. And then the content is there, but no one goes to the library and reads. I mean, few people, Mm. but like the the mass majority, 90% of the people, they don't go to the library and read Mm. as as they don't go and uh, normally open a statistic books online and, you know, like consume it. It's about it, you know it's about how we uh, massage the content into a way that mm-hmm. is learnable,
0: mm-hmm. and take care of the community and and help people meet each other and and discuss about things and and learn together right so it's
1: right. Or learn what they want, like maybe create music yeah. or a skateboard or like games or uh, mm. nails, whatever it is that is meaningful to those learners. Mm.
0: Should we ask first all the students like, hey, what do you actually want to learn? Or perhaps even better, like like um, like you did with the um, uh, your students uh, in Mexico, like observing them that, okay, well, those actually need to learn social skills, not mathematics.
1: Right. I think that... There are different ways, right? Like uh, I am the chair of the long-term vision at a place called the Beam Center, which is like amazing. They do these like really beautiful, super well-made projects. Like um, they have uh, a lot of stuff in in New York that is like public, public things. And these are like super well-designed things by uh, artists. Hmm. And that's another way to bring people beauty, right? Like uh, the, the, the kids, when, when they participate in these projects, in these uh, internships, they learn about, you know, welding and Arduino and many different things, but they don't get to actually choose a project. But because it's so beautiful and it's so well done, they are drawn to the beauty of it and mm. to this like collaborative thing, even though they are not, it's not their interest. You know, mm-hmm. it's not what they are like looking for. So that's another way to actually bring things forward. And um, and I think beauty, uh, you know, in all the different forms attracts also the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of these kids actually uh, was invited to. So so they did a project to create a geodesic dome where they map constellations inside. Mm-hmm. And they were using like, you know, fiber optics and Arduino to just like uh, uh, represent their distance and their flurking and it, it was very bird, beautiful. And they got invited with that project to the White House to the astronomy night in the White House. And one of the of the of the participants of these projects, all of these participants were from Brooklyn International High Schools, uh, and which are high schools that are international because they take a lot of the newcomers of the high schoolers. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we used to have seventeen different languages in one classroom. So you know, like a, it's like this very like. We are contacts to be able to, to teach, but projects bring them together. And one of these kids, uh, Sophia, she actually uh, taught President Obama how to uh, work with a telescope. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> and I think that's the thing, right? When you do very beautiful, super well-done uh, things... Uh, you have open doors for other 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 things, right? That is one way. There is another way, which are projects like Project Invent that is like a very cool, uh, also non-profit that they do more entrepreneurship. So they care more about the kids doing like the, the AI thing that these two Mexicans did, right? Like just go there, create a project that work. They have a great software that connects people with the needs of the community. So you can see, maybe there is a shelter here that needs something. Maybe there is a pastry that needs a new logo. I don't know uh so that's another way right bring people to the community and give them more like entrepreneurship things and then at the end they have people from google meta and blah 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 and they have a small incubator so mm-hmm. you can go through that route right and and then there are other ways right that uh that have to do with implement these things in schools right and uh and maybe you know We have a classroom where some of them want to be entrepreneurs, other ones to be create a play for Broadway, other ones want to actually just, uh, sometimes there is this intrinsic motivation of learning the skill. You don't need to Mm. actually have a reward, you know, like a car wheel. I like to do car wheels and I like to have that skill because it's fun. And (laughs) there's some skills that are just like cool to have and you have this intrinsic motivation to have Mm them, Right. So there's also kids that are more into that, right? I just like to learn these skills because it's like, I like the way it feels in me. So, you know, there are different ways to do it. And I think the more we know the person, it's easier uh, to do it. And the more we're flexible to open these uh, very important ideas for them to use them the way that they need. Mm -hmm.
0: Amazing. Hey, um, I'm just thinking, uh, you mentioned so many interesting things and also these skills that uh, students might want to uh, learn. So, how do you think about it? I mean, AI, machine learning, automation. Of course, a lot of these things also require a lot of attention and a lot of skills to make them actually work properly. But uh, it's also developing super fast. So it is getting so much better. Almost every week, uh, you look at stable diffusion and and whatnot. It's it's crazy. Chat GPT now and so where are we going to and um, also what are the skills needed in the future really or mindset or anything like, I mean, what should we be studying or what should we be teaching our kids and and students?
1: Right. So it's a balancing act because this is the thing, right? Uh, New knowledge sticks better to previous knowledge, right? So it's not just that the phone is going to, be the holder from all that previous knowledge. Uh, if we don't know about um, certain things of geography, it's harder for us to understand migration. So, you know, certain ideas stick to other ideas. So we still need to teach content. There's, we, there's no saving from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, uh, what we are seeing is that things are more connected and that we cannot predict what is gonna be the, the important skill so we need to go also and do a very deep diving in meta-learning, right? We need to do like a systematic thinking. We need to think about uh, how do we learn. And we don't, just don't have that language. It's not that we, it's not important, uh, you know, just go to school to learn, but we are not teaching them how to learn, which mm-hmm. is insane, right? Mm-hmm. Even though we are designing for that, it's just that we are not making them aware of that process when we actually could as easily, Right. This is the goal of the learning. We know that sometimes you're going to be this because that happens to everyone. And sometimes even the thing that you want to do, you're going to hate it. it happens to me as well. And you know, this mm-hmm. is how we manage motivation. We can just make it very conscious, right? And we can just let them see and find who are they as learners. So that, you know, help us to actually help them learn how to learn, which would be like amazing for like learning things in the future, which we will not know which which things are. So that's one of the things. I think the other thing that we are need to start switching is to go to something that has to do with more like systematic thinking. Because um, when I was uh, the director of uh, learning at Pedu, that is like a something like General Assembly, they they were actually, so this is like a, a company that they do learning for like data science, Python, front end, back end, you know, like um, things mm. like that. And these are like, you know, great professionals. Uh, one of the things that we were learning by companies is that people have more and more problem understanding the complexity of a business because it's mm-hmm. getting so wild, as you said, new technologies, new connections all the time. That employees are very uh, having hard problems understanding. Okay, what is this about? What is the whole thing that I'm mm-hmm. working on? Especially with big companies, and of course, this is the same problem when we are thinking of uh, climate change or all the problems that we have that are interconnected, that are more like a system. We don't teach a way to address uh, things that are like systematic and everything is connected. Everything is systematic, which is great at the same time because um, sometimes you know teachers ask me like, ah, you know, but I have this kid, he just cares about skateboards, and you know, he doesn't care about math or blah blah blah. Everything is connected. Skateboards are connected mm. to math. Skateboards are connected to to the rest of the things. Is that? we are not thought to be seeing things as connections and their relationships. So I think that relationship is going to be very important. I think argumentation is going to be super important to learn because if we don't know how to communicate, we cannot take feedback, as you said, which is like extremely important for keep keep growing and keep learning. Mm -hmm. And we cannot actually uh, put the pieces together. So argumentation, I think, is going to be a great skill to have that touches in uh, critical thinking. Touches in um, empathy, uh, comprehension, blah, blah, blah. And, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, I don't think we can get rid of content. I think obviously the literacy about technology, AI, and other sort of things are going to be extremely, extremely relevant. Not just as, a, you know, this is cool, look how we can learn with AI. But uh, this is how it can amplify oppression. This is how it can, uh, you know, this is uh, some damage that it's already doing, how we can ask for transparency, how we can, you know, like uh, we, we need to be more critical about these technologies as well. Yeah. Because they're already here and, you know, we mm-hmm. are going to use them. And because they have so much potential and, uh, you know, we want that potential to be to be rich. So, so yeah, I think those would be some of the things that I'm, I have been thinking about lately about uh, what people should be learning.
0: Uh, argumentation, I mean, communication, everything you said, it's totally makes sense. <laughs> I, I totally agree. Um, what, what strikes me is that um, many of the things uh, you mentioned, they have connection to this, you know, this World Economic Forum have this list of future skills. But uh, I think you went so much deeper, like what, what is the meaning of these skills and why do we need them? like um, because I mean if you just say that okay yeah we will need communication skills yeah what but then argumentation is is giving it a meaning like why do we communicate because we want to critically think like okay well is this really fair for example what AI is doing or if you are designing certain thing for product for certain target group is it really fair as a product or as a system that we are creating totally makes sense right for one thing for example uh, what do you think um uh now we have social media we have AI, we have all these recommended systems we have so much generated content and and not just content but um like like lists of media that one should check next based on of course what the AI has learned about you or about a certain group of people. So, um, what do you think? Like, I mean, it's it's clear that many people are using like hours or ten hours or twenty hours a day with all these contents. Um, what can we do about it, or and should we do something about it? It's like because if AI is optimizing like how well it can target us new contents. Uh, isn't the obvious result that suddenly I'm spending like 10 hours on a row with the, I mean, I'm not, but because I'm cautious right. about it, but uh, what do you think about that? Should should there be like, like an AI that understands holistically human life, that it's not a good thing to watch too much videos in YouTube, I mean, yeah. whatever platform.
1: Yeah right, uh, so there are several problems here, right, like uh one of them is that it's very hard to pitch something for everyone, right, like uh everyone uses the uh social media in a different way,
0: mm-hmm.
1: everyone is at a different stage in their life when they're using it, and mm-hmm. that implies that it you know has different consequences um one of the one of the things, by example, that I have been, uh, I was listening to the podcast about, uh, you know, social media and about um, some shaming that happens with uh, middle school kids around sexuality, right? Like uh, people are having sex earlier and now with social media, it becomes, it can become like a, a nightmare, basically. And um, and one of the problems is that at that age, they don't call or ask for help to other people because of the of the same shaming cap that we have mm-hmm. installed into sexuality in general, and uh, and you know uh, some researchers were trying to understand a little bit better should we ban it, right? So we tried to do an effort and ban anything that has to do with uh, kids in middle school having a uh, sexting or like pictures or stuff like that. And then they found that for 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 many of them, it's a, a medium that they're using uh carefully to do it. And for other ones, it's a pressure system and it can become like a like a nightmare, right? Uh and and the fact that that uh adults are so caught up with the fear of like the topic. And you know, just to talk about it, I can feel the adrenaline going through my veins <laughs> because it's a very loaded topic. Yeah. Um and uh just talking about it makes a little bit anxious. And then we just wanna, you know, like put something on top of it, cover it and ban it forever. I don't want this to happen to my daughter. Like I don't want to have anything to do with it. But the fact is that it's there. Uh, It's going to be very hard to ban. And actually it has a purpose for some of those kids. And uh, we just need to accompany. We need to think about how we can make this something that works. And maybe AI can be the anonymous guiding thing that they can ask. Right, because it's very easy to spot in a text conversation when pressure is being imposed into one of the, of the participants. And that's something definitely that AI could spot. And then it's not that they are going to decide for them, but they can say like, oh, you know, this conversation seems like many other thousands of conversations where someone is putting pressure on someone else. Are you sure you want to send that picture? <laughs> uh, and, you know, we can uh, use it not as a decisive thing but as someone or as something that is uh, guiding and uh, just bringing awareness of things that we're already probably feeling and knowing, but we are not having the the mental space to actually pause it, right? Even if at that moment they I just say like, do you want to pause the conversation for five minutes so you can think about it? Or just things like that, right? Uh, I think... Uh, we can use ai to give more agency to people not the other way around i mean of course we're using it right now to um for other things as well that is not giving agency to people uh and i think the other danger of, of ai is that because it's going every like it's right now i think it's like the the gold mine rush right Oh, people yeah. are seeing the gold mine and everyone is like, let's get on it. I don't care if my product is not very well developed. I don't, I don't care about the safety thing. I'm just going to put it out there because if I'm the first, people are going to take selfies with my thing. They're going to post it on Facebook and I'm making money. And there is like this rush, which mm-hmm. I think at the same time, it has a lot of benefits because it's giving money to the industry, which is going to help keep developing these tools because people are, you know, having more awareness of it. And because it's creating this bubble, this ecosystem of AI, that is going to be some success and some failures, but it's helping to create this bubble that is needed for Mm -hmm. innovation. Uh, The problem is that the cost is going to be the users, as always. And, you know, people need to be just more aware about uh, what is happening in the background. So transparency is something that... It, it, it is going to need to be asked for, even though people are refusing to want to understand AI. I think computer science got a bad reputation of something difficult, but it's easier to teach a child or a or all a person. It is easier to teach them AI than coding. And I have done this experiment when I was at OpenAI, and I was uh, I was a scholar of OpenAI, and I was like, oh my god, like this is this is serious. <laughs> I got very interested in saying, like, how can we teach uh, senior citizens that are the ones that vote the most about this? Because at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, they might get the power to decide stuff and they have no idea what is AI. So I start teaching senior citizens how to, you know, what is AI and how to use it and what are the consequences and blah, blah. blah. And they are, it's easier to teach them that. I have also tried to teach them uh, more like a Python and it, that definitely was harder. <laughs> so learning, AI learning is something that is more natural to humans. We we mm. know learning and we learn in a similar way, more in a statistical way, right? It's not that we learn by features and sequences. It's that we have like this more like a statistical mm. way of learning as well. So it's easier for, for, for humans to understand it. And we don't underst- we need to understand completely the statistics or a linear algebra. We just need to actually, you know, very similar, uh, very, very easy things to to put together, to, to understand this sort of thing. So I think that is going to be extremely important to, to, to bring awareness. I think by example, for the argumentation thing it's very easy to think about AI helping you to learn how to argue because there are diff- like very specific things to, that you can, that you can check. The first thing that it can check that happens a lot when we are teaching about argumentation is that uh, what you are saying has anything to do with what the other person said, or you mm-hmm. just having your own, you know, like story in your head that you just <laughs> want to shoot. And you didn't care. Just checking that, which is like super important for argumentation is something that the AI can do. So there are a lot of things that we can definitely learn with, with it. I'm playing with a lot of these things. I'm working with some people to to try to generate some of this stuff. Uh, I'm working with Diane Kuhn from Columbia University on this part of the argumentation. She has been doing research for argumentation for like almost 40 years. So I think, you know, definitely it can help. Uh, but at the same time, sometimes I talk to people in Mexico, in the University of Mexico, UNAM, and, you know, they don't have the computational power as many mm. as most of the people in the world to run and train models like OpenAI or Google or Meta or any mm. of these companies. And and the fact that just very few companies can train these models, can have that power to just release yes. the model that they want, and uh, and then they get more data, right? Just one million users of uh, ChatGPT, like yeah. this, right? All the data that they are getting right now yeah. to train it better.
0: Same with the play, play Crowd. I mean, now, now they charge for it, but it, for a few months it was like free. So they must have got like, I don't know, tens of millions of entries. Right
1: right exactly exactly so i think uh that's the other question that is going to be super important like uh who owns this technology which mm. you know at this point i think is very clear but there's are other ways to develop ai right mm. you have a uh, probabilistic graphical models that has to do more with causation and less with a uh, force power of like computational power yeah yeah
0: and uh, i mean ex- explainable ai like like when ai is saying something like really Having at least the option of asking data, like, okay, why do you say that? Do you have, what, what are your sources? I mean, explain who are you, I mean, basically as a model, <laughs> who trained you? I mean, why, right. why, yeah.
1: Yeah, but the answer is going to be an amplification of, of the data, right? That is the other important part. Uh, we are just amplifying us, not just everyone, us right people that put content online that's the people that are getting amplified right not the minorities not like the people that don't have access to the internet so ai is being uh, amplifying by is, is it amplification a very particular set of people that have a very particular tone that know very particular things and uh, you know the gpt the the chat gpt is uh, has a lot of errors i was trying to do math misconceptions with it and one out of four times it was wrong, so you know still. Wow. Yeah, so hey. you know, just base, basic math, okay? Okay, okay. So, so you know, it's not prime time for for using. I mean, this is gonna probably get improved, like, like in the next three months. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not saying that this is the way it is gonna keep going.
0: Mm-hmm. But what I'm
1: saying is that uh it's 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 these products are not fully developed. They are just getting outside for, for yeah. keep doing active learning, which mm-hmm. means using the users to improve the product, right? This is this is a face of the all the AI things that we're gonna be seeing right now. Mm-hmm. So we are actually for free or even paying helping them to improve their products mm-hmm. and giving them all the data. So obviously we know these or some people know this uh, but you know this is uh, something that we can uh, we need to think about uh, i don't think there is a way to to close that um anymore what we need to start thinking about okay so what are the other things that need to be created mm. so we can actually uh, ask for transparency or give mm. feedback to the ai and make sure that it's included and mm. you know like there are other things that we need to start and mostly mm. start thinking about
0: hey obosti um the person you mentioned uh, who has been studying argumentation following a long
1: oh, time. Diane Kuhn.
0: Okay. Diane Kuhn. I have to check uh, her work.
1: Oh, yeah. She has a, an amazing book called Argue With Me. Uh, I was trying to teach critical thinking and I was like, oh, my God, critical thinking. <laughs> but I wanted to teach, to teach it in a way that is uh, practical.
0: Yeah.
1: And then, you know, that's how I, uh, and then I met her. It was when I was running the, pro- the portfolio school project and then uh, I went to some of her training and yeah, it is a great, uh, she's, she's very, uh, she's very into it.
0: Thanks for so much for sharing. She I mean, so- I, I just remember I, I was also teaching critical thinking, of course, part of my visualization classes, but um, one special session in August after um visualization, the information visualization training I had given, then the students asked like if I could, um, because I was mentioning about critical thinking so much, then they asked uh, me to teach like a special session one evening, like four hours about critical thinking, and my first reaction was like, of course I will do it. Then I was like, all right, what is it anyways? <laughs> I'm always talking about it, like, what is it? <laughs> Then I checked so many, I mean, books and papers and I tried to really understand, like, okay, do I actually understand it myself? And I think I kind of got it and I learned so much myself and uh, this session was nice, but but the first reaction was like, okay, am I?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I was I was in, in a similar spot trying to uh, figure out, and I feel that... Uh Critical thinking has to do a lot with the, with the media that is happening at the same time. So right mm-hmm. now the critical thinking, definitely with AI had to do like a, this jump of other skills that are needed. And I think that's kind of the tricky part that we need to keep adjusting. And and uh, this, this year for me was about adaptation because I got sick, like just with calls, but like mm-hmm. all the time. And then uh, it was just like a very minor adaptations but constant adaptations. And I was just reflecting on like, oh my God, like just give me a break, you know, like <laughs> enough with like little things. I just you know when some, and then I was thinking like, maybe this is the way that our kids are going to be growing, just like constant adaptation. Mm-hmm. And And I have been thinking about like, this is a very tiring thing. Uh, you know, especially if we're saying, we're thinking that they have to reinvent their identity because they're going to be a psychologist and they're like a doctor and they're maybe like a, who knows yeah. what job and they have to be adjusting their identity constantly. So what are the tools that we can give them for this long-term, uh, adaptation journey, you know, like, uh, what is, uh, the things that we can help them to, to buffer this process?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then have this this kind of blueprint of like how do I learn the next identity, next set of skills, next whatever.
1: And how yeah, and how maybe I heal myself, restore myself, deal with rejection because uh, you know oh, I yeah. think adaptation like implies a rejection of the system that yeah. you need to like work around. And you know, exactly, there is so much rejection we can tolerate as humans, and how to f- change the framework to. You know, I think it's going to be, uh, I think the amazing part is that this is getting more complicated and it's asking us to go for an extra mile, you know, and I think, uh, I think, you know, humans definitely can do it. The problem is that not everyone at the same time in the context will be able to do it. Mm. And I I think one of the things that AI is bringing more and more, and this pandemic definitely is the, the gaps are like. I think we were doing a lot of effort to try to close them. And now they're like, <laughs> oh, and, yeah, uh, totally.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's that's so scary. i um been asking um many students, like, uh, how do they feel like with how many students basically uh, were doing fine in the pandemic? And uh, it's the constantly same numbers, like 50 percent, they say like 50 percent got it. And they... They did fine, but then fifty percent right. were kind of felt that they cannot really follow any more courses, and it's it's crazy. Right, and,
1: and the biggest problem is that the ones that fall, they were already the ones that were like in like underserved situations. Yeah. So those were the more and and yeah, and I feel it just was. Backwards, you know, this this pandemic yeah. I just said those, like educational wise, like 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think that's my main concern right now. How, uh, you know, what are we going to do with these gaps that are mm-hmm. just widening and widening and widening?
0: Hey, if, uh, you mentioned about we going back 20 years, but what if we go 20 years from now to 2042, let's say, uh, 42, meaning of life? So,
1: right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that book.
0: We, yeah, me too. So, will we finally find the meaning of life then, or how how is the how do you predict the world will look like with all the AI and uh, people living in on the moon and perhaps having visited Mars and?
1: Right. So I do see it more divided, uh, sadly. In in certain ways, I do see more uh, gaps happening in areas uh, i do think that uh, we will have more examples of projects that can be successful uh, regarding systematics way or circular economies of of changing uh local places i know of several places trying to clean water where extracting precious materials where like you know like a cycle uh, of of economy that we will see more of these success stories while other places in the world will be like burning and drowning and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I do think we're going to see this very clear path to oblivion or utopia <laughs> mm-hmm. in in many, in many, in many uh, locations. I guess we're always at the verge of that. Uh, it's just that technologies like AI can amplify these things so much and so fast. Uh, I do think that uh, a lot of people are developing AI to amplify themselves and to amplify human capacities, and other people are developing to, to you know, create surveillance billions in a government and uh, get data from kids' computer, which is happening right now with like laptops in. So, you know, there are like these, these things happening. And I don't think, okay. um, I think there is always a chase in humans about uh, doing these things and how we can actually put laws and control it. I think that chase is going to continue, but I'm seeing more and more that, uh, that people are waking up in a different way. They are, uh, I think starting to see that they need to participate more and get into the game more than they used to. I think one of the marvelous things about internet is that people are less afraid to participate in those mediums and they are, uh, you know, uh, hopefully more willing to do it. I know that, uh, you know, if Twitter gets out of control and it starts getting like a frightening place, it's just gonna be then for a particular set of, of people. But other platforms, I think they're gonna keep growing because now people like to participate. They're more and more uh, more into that. I do have high hopes for a uh, blockchain. I'm not sure about crypto, but uh, I think blockchain will mm. help to hopefully uh, democratize a lot of the things from education, like degrees, you know, maybe there is a way that you can just get skills and get a certificate that you know you get specific skills and it's not mm-hmm. like just a degree that you need to get. Um, but uh, but you know, I, I have I have a daughter, so I hope I do hope that in uh, in twenty years, she is someone that lives in a place where she can accept her feelings more. I think that's something that humans are working more on accepting how we feel stop thinking that we need to just be happy and excited mm. the, the the nightmare of euphoria i think is passing i think if we are able to accept more that we are frightened that we are scared that we feel rejected then we can just remove that processing from our head and actually mm-hmm. start thinking about the problems that we need to solve. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that uh, that that ability is growing more and more that we are uh, saying like the me Too movements, the you know people saying like this is how I feel, you know I have like a, sometimes I get depressed, sometimes I'm sad. And mm-hmm. as a learning scientist, that's the first step if we don't if we are not able to get in that mindset to accept our reality and how we feel about it, it's going mm-hmm. to be very hard for us to think how to change it. And I think we're still in the everything is okay sort of face sometimes. I'm good. And uh, well, probably not. So let's just talk about it and let's, you know, we have the ability to solve it and we have the technology for sure to solve most of the problems that we have. We just need to uh, mm-hmm. use it and be brave enough to compromise with it. Mm-hmm. I do have a lot of hope in, in science as well. In the science of learning, it's amazing how fast we are learning things. I do hope that uh, even co- big companies that are using AI to to just uh, improve themselves and just releasing specific models to the public uh, will see that because of the because of the danger of this technology, if we don't actually uh, do a better job you know, a lot of bad consequences can happen. And I think that, they, yeah, I think they're aware. I mean, this is smart people uh, that are using it. Uh, but we have a lot of the uh, pressure of the market to make money yeah. out of it. And, uh, well, I think, and that's an ego problem. It's not a technology problem. It's not a systematic problem. It's a, you know, it's like a, a human ego problem about being more successful, making more money, show that, mm. you know, look what I did with this thing. And that is where we need to grow. It's not about uh, ER, VR, AI, blah, blah, yeah. blah. You know, it's about uh, let's stop competing. Let's accept that, uh, you know, sometimes we are not the best and that's okay if we could just deal with that. Mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, kind of the bottom line here. But yeah, uh, I'm hopeful, but I'm also preparing the best I can.
0: <laughs> wow. Thank you so much for wise words. I, I think uh, this will... Your stories and the how you predicted the future will stick with me <laughs> for a while at least the next 20 years I'll let's have a check um, checkpoint beating then <laughs> I mean of course yeah
1: we need to before let's well, get a calendar but. for for today in 20 <laughs> years and see yeah.
0: <laughs> let's, let's look at it like how how did we how did uh, predicted it and how was it, it? Uh, that's great uh, let's do that hey can you share um, some turning point in your life and studies? Anything, something that made you think differently about life, about studying, about anything? Right.
1: Uh, yeah, let's see. Uh, so, so many, uh, but I think obviously, I think right now one of the biggest ones uh, that have changed me a lot, uh, and I don't know if this is going to sound so, uh, but you know, is to be a mother. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I was very much in the rush of, uh, you know, trying to change the world. And uh trying to find the perfect solution, create the perfect school with this new methodology, and amplify this thing that I thought it was very good. And you know, I was always pursuing, like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a very ch- I'm a chaser, I think. And and then I think uh I you know, online learning, awesome, but I have never learned so much than uh than seeing a, a kid, a baby learn. Mm-hmm. I think for a learning scientist having this this amazing uh opportunity to have a, a child is is uh is mind-blowing and mm-hmm. then uh something that was very weird with the pandemic is that we we brought my parents to live with us uh because there was no schools and there was no nannies or anything mm-hmm. uh either one of us have to stop working or you know we had a two-year-old at that point so someone needs to help and my parents decided to to be here and then the amazing thing that has happened to, to me right now that is changing everything is that uh, I never thought I would live close to my parents ever again. Never in my life thought we'll live in the same house. I even <laughs> thought that I was like the worst thing that can happen in the universe. <laughs> but right now they just live half of the time, but still is a lot. Uh, seeing them grow old and seeing the consequences of their choices in their mm. bodies, in their lives, in their way of being has been opened this dimension of learning that we completely shot, that is learning from our elders. That is like, oh my God, that this is why there is this saying of learning from the elders. And because I can see, especially because I'm their daughter, I can see the traits that they pass on me now on them and the the consequences of those traits very clearly, at Mm. least in their paths so i am very interested uh and i think you know that's one of the things that i'm going to be focusing besides the other things that i just talked about but th- that is opening a window of my mind of like um you know what is happening with that sort of learning that we are like uh basically uh, being removed from and uh yeah i think th- at least that's one of the last things that uh, that has been switching i switch a lot so you know yeah. i don't want to bother you with a list but like uh I think that's one of the things that is like definitely right now, changing yeah. uh, what I think about uh, life and stuff like
0: that. Oh, I love it. Uh, I, I, yesterday I watched uh, The Territory, um, made by National Geographic, uh, about the Brazilian rainforest and it uh, and, uh, was really striking. There were these in- indigenous uh, people learning from elders there. And uh, yesterday after the, we were talking in the sustainability club here at the other university about the movie, like late in the nine o'clock in the evening or something like that. Um, I was like watching, uh, walking then, it's like three, four kilometers in the snow to my home. And I was thinking about like, what does this mean to my life? Like learning from elders. And of course, like you mentioned, learning also from kids, like how do they learn? And that's. Thank you for sharing. I, <laughs> what, what did you learn last time? I mean, like you mentioned that, of course, that now you have uh, learned to, I mean, learn from elders, but uh, what specifics did you learn and how was it from your parents or was it from old so yeah, so or I online think, or?
1: So, I, you know, I have like a practice of learning from, I like audiobooks a mm. lot while I have like my spare time to do, uh, uh, I like to do things with beats. I don't have anything right here, but you know, I like to create art with beads. Oh. And uh, when I'm doing, you know, like things with a kid, right? Like this is one of the things. I, you know, and when I'm like, when I'm building these sorts of things, and I I like to put an audio book, and uh, and I think I'm I'm learning right now. I'm doing the Learning Better book. Pretty awesome. If you want to know all about research about learning, that's like a very good uh, Learning Better compilation. Who has, Learning Better?
0: Who has written it?
1: Ulrich Bose. Uh, he's the founder of the learning agency Mm -hmm. and, you know, very, very, very good companion. Like it's, it's, it's a very good thing, uh, about learning has a, it's, it's pretty good. But I think, uh, one of the things that I learned the most is just, uh, accepting. Uh, I think my parents are the perfect person to trigger me in specific Mm -hmm. things. And, uh, you know, because they live here and obviously I cannot get upset about these things every single day. I have to learn uh, how to accept the way they are. And that has been, uh, I think, like an amazing journey that took two years. And, uh, and you know, uh, it continues. But I think just like the acceptance of the way people are, I know it seems like super broad, but uh, even when that bothers you a lot and just accepting that it bothers you and move on from it, <laughs> just like, yeah, it bothers me keep going like next thing they're not going to change that so you know it's like uh and it's not killing you it bothers you so just deal, <laughs> you know just moving up from those things like you're not going to change them just like yeah uh so that type of like uh accepting that it bothers me and accepting that uh i live in a place and i chose to be with them so better for me to uh move on from the bother mm. to my next state of mind uh that practice has been very useful still, you know, I'm still practicing it. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I think that's the last thing that I learned, uh, more in a, uh, in a relevant context and, uh, very relevant mm. for my life.
0: Thank you for sharing. I, I have to learn that more. I think I have learned something about moving on and just, but I think I have to learn even more because I, <laughs> Thanks. I think uh, now, yeah, now I have a agenda for me to, for the next. <laughs>
1: you know, yeah, let me know how it goes. If you if you get some uh, some hints about how to do it, share them with me. Yeah, because, you, know?
0: you know, I'm I'm very diplomatic. I think I'm very calm and everything. But but uh, you mentioned adrenaline uh, previously. Um, so I have also this, you know, adrenaline like pigs. <laughs> Inside of me, and sometimes when something is really bothering me and somebody's, I don't know, I feel it's like unfair and it's like I'm still very calm, but it's like.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, and I, I hear you. <laughs> Same here, you know? Especially when you build everything to be like you construct this thing, right? For yeah. it to be like safe and neat and yeah. a little bit like under your control. And then there are these people that uh, just go and poke you. Mm. And uh, and you know it's like mm. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it reminds you that you know it has holes. That thing, yeah, and, uh, yeah. I don't absolutely. Know. But yeah, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm on that um, on that learning process. Hey,
0: yeah, yeah, we are there together. Let's let's um, let's keep uh, each other updated about how it how it goes. Um, hey, final question. Um, so um, you know this uh, podcast is called uh, Cloud Reachers. Meaning like that there is some clouds or dreams or something like um, something that is um, out there. Something that we need to reach out. So um, who is a cloud reacher in your mind? Some person or organization or anything?
1: Uh, so many. But uh, so one of the things that have been inspired me for me for systematic thinking, and I thought about it when I read the title, it's called the Cloud Institute. And they talk about systematic thinking and sustainability. I think that has been like someone that has been trying to put some of these ideas, uh, together in a very, very cool way. Uh, I have seen, uh, when I was a child, not a child, but when I was in middle school, I was crazy about this person called Rigoberta Menchu. She was a leader from Guatemala. She won the Nobel prize in, uh, of peace. And I think for me that's still like uh, one of the the people that uh, that was able to change so much, and she risked so much, and you know they killed their family, and you know terrible things happen. But she was still there, you know, trying to fight for the people and tried to uh, and was able to restore and heal herself in a way that uh, could still be of 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 uh, of service. I think those are like uh, I think she has always been like a definitely a, a, a cloud richer or like even like, a, you know, beyond the clouds. Um, mm. Research richer. Um, I think, uh, I think those would be like some of my, my, my choices to, for people that I think that are like pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. I mean, I have many, I don't want to like uh, talk too much about it, but if, yeah, if two of them, I think uh, the Cloud Institute and here, I think they're pretty mm-hmm. good. And uh, Andri I mean, she definitely uh, developed my my social part, like this part of like, uh, she had an organization that was also in Mexico to help indigenous people. And I was volunteering when I was in middle school. And uh, I learned so much. I learned so much about the social problem being in that organization.
0: Mm. Thank you for sharing. Um Nancy, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. This was a pleasure. Yeah, a no,
1: pleasure talking to you, Tommy.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. Let's do this again very soon. Uh, let's not wait until 2042. But... <laughs> sure. Great. Thank you. Um, all right. This was Cloud Reaches and Tommy Oppinen. Thank you so much for um, staying with us. Until next time. See ya. Ciao.